Okay, so this is our uh, last Sunday in our current sermon series, which means it is the last Sunday where we're going to start off by asking questions about the passage, right? So if you have been sitting on your hands this whole time, you want to ask a question, you've been too afraid to, today is your day, okay? Uh, And then after this, for those of you who really don't like this exercise, we won't do it again for a while, so don't worry. Uh, In case this is your first Sunday here in a while, what we're going to do is uh, Helen Simpkins is going to come up and read the text, so come on up, Helen. And when Helen is done, I'm going to ask you, what from this passage are you Yes. Wow, I love the tone with which everyone said it, too. This has been a long sermon series. Uh, yes. What from this passage are you curious about? Okay, so Helen's going to read for us, and then we'll, uh, then we'll do that. So take it away, Helen. If you have your Bibles, this is Luke 24, verses 13 through 34. So this is the road to Emmaus. So you can open up there if you want. It will also be up on the screen so that you can follow along. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back, saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your word, for your desire and delight in revealing yourself to us. And we pray that we would have uh, the experience that these people had on the road to Emmaus. Lord, that you would uh, interrupt our mornings, that you would speak to us, that you would show us yourself through your word by your Holy Spirit. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, 
So what from this passage are you curious about? Who are they? Yeah. What is with the vanishing? How does he do this? Yeah. How big was the event that the people uh, would be surprised that Jesus didn't know about it? Yeah, why is it that they didn't recognize him? Did he look different? What was going on? And then why did they recognize him when, they broke, when he broke the bread? Okay, one or two more. Guys, this is a crazy passage, right? Come on. Yeah, what scriptures did he open to them about himself? Yes. Jesus is resurrected, and I don't know how the space-time continuum works for a resurrected person, but why these two people who were leaving Jerusalem? Why not the disciples? I was say, I have so many of these same questions coming to the text. And uh, it's also, to me, like a very funny passage. Uh, when Jesus comes up to them, he says, what are you talking about? And they say, basically, Jesus, have you been under a stupid rock? Like, what do you, how do you not know what's going on? But then the irony of it, that Je- th- it is Jesus, but they don't know, but we know that it's Jesus, and we know that they don't, like, it's such a, from like a literary perspective, such a rich passage And it's such an appropriate passage for us to end on because the whole point of this sermon series that we've been in this spring is that we would have a fresh encounter with Jesus, that we would be curious about him and that as we are curious about him, that we would encounter him uh, in, in new ways, that our hearts would be woken up to who he is, that we would see him as beautiful. That all throughout the sermon series, we've been saying, look at Jesus, look at Jesus, look at Jesus, look at Jesus that our hearts uh, would burn within us as we open up the scriptures and look at who Jesus is, that we would have a desire to be with him and to worship him. That's what this, that's what this whole series has been about. And this sermon is really a culmination of that theme because we've got Jesus a- appearing to two people specifically to fill them with hope, to make himself known to them. my prayer and hope for this morning, my agenda for this morning, is that you would leave here filled with hope because you've encountered Jesus. That's the hope of the sermon series, that you'd be leaving filled with hope because you've encountered Jesus. Really, that's our agenda every Sunday. 
that you would be living, you would be leaving here, that we would leave here together filled with hope because we've encountered Jesus, because he's come to encounter us. So as we study this encounter with Jesus this morning, what we're gonna see is how these two people, whoever they are, move from, move from being hopeful to hopeless to full of hope. So that's, that's what we're gonna look at in this passage, how the people move from being hopeful to hopeless to full of hope. So let's talk about uh, what it means to be a person who is hopeful. Okay, and, and when, we, when we say that someone is hopeful, right, like I'm hopeful that, is usually how we talk about hope, right? I'm hopeful that something will happen. That's the way that we kind of use hope in our everyday, in, in, in our everyday lives. It's like when, uh, right before my wife and I got married, I quit my job, which, I don't know, that was a questionable thing to do, but that's what I did. So I quit my job, and I had a lot of hopes for the timeline on which God would operate and bring me a new job, because quit a job, you gotta get a job, that's how it works, right? So I, I had a lot of hope in getting this new job. So hopeful that I gave God lots of deadlines. Have you ever done that to God? God, I'm so hopeful you'd give me a new job. Would you please give it to me by this date? And I, have, I made that plan, right? Because I had, all, I had all kinds of reasons for it, all kinds of reasons that it made sense for God to give me the job by a certain date because of all the other ways it would free me up to go on trips with my friends and do all these things beforehand. Uh, so I'm making a plan for the future, for what I hope to happen, and I'm attaching like, my emotional well-being to this plan coming to pass. Lo and behold, I did not get the job by the first deadline I set God, right? So I tell God, it's fine, I'll give you a new deadline, right? <laughs> Obviously. Uh, this time, the deadline will be by the time we actually get married. So I would just like to have the job by the time that we get married. So my family is, is flying to Nashville, I go to pick them up from the airport, and while, it sounds so dramatic, it felt really dramatic, as I'm in the airport waiting for them, I get a call from someone that I've interviewed with, and I'm like, this is it. All my hopes are coming true. This plan that I have is finally coming to pass, which, by the way, it was for a job I didn't even want that I knew I would be terrible at. But I was so committed to the idea of the plan that I had created, of the hope that I had made in my own, own mind, of my own narrative of what I needed to be able to be okay, that I had committed myself to hoping in the job I didn't even want. And on that phone call, I was told that I did not get the job. So, strike two. So then I stopped giving deadlines. Eventually, what if I never actually got a job? What if this was just me? No, I did get a job eventually. I say all that to say that's how hope works in our lives, right? We set expectations, ideas, plans for what we think the future will be, and then we attach our hearts to them and we live into them, and that's what we call hope. That's what we see in this passage in verse 21, that one of these people says to Jesus, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. What they're saying is, is that uh, we had written a future for ourselves based on who we thought Jesus was and what he was gonna do for us. Now what they thought is that Jesus was gonna bring this new political kingdom. He was gonna overthrow their oppressors. They were gonna be free. They were gonna be liberated, which by the way are good things to want, right? They want to be able to worship God in, in freedom and in peace, the way that God has called them to worship him. They want that. 
They're people who have been eagerly awaiting the coming of the kingdom of God. And they're seeing it before their eyes. People who are lame are getting up and walking. People who are blind are receiving their sight. People who are possessed by demons are suddenly finding freedom. There's healing and peace. There's this powerful teaching that's at work in the world. And they're saying, yeah, we want a part of that. We're in. And they had written a whole story about what that kingdom coming would mean for their lives. And why shouldn't they? In describing Jesus and his ministry, they say this. He was a man, a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people. And they'd put their hope in him. And then they say, and, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. That the, the, the circumstances in which they had placed their hope suddenly uh, were dashed. That the whole future that they had started to imagine has been kind of swept out from under them. It's been undone. And it brings them from this place of being hopeful to a place of hopeless. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. What they were saying is we don't hope for it anymore. Our hope was in the past. There are all these weird things that have been happening is what they say. Some of our women from our company amazed us. They were at the tomb. They didn't find his body. They came back saying they'd seen the vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of us even went to the tomb and saw that it was the woman who said, but they didn't, they didn't see him. Said he, and, and what they were saying to, to Jesus that they didn't recognize was, yeah, we've, we've heard that there's the possibility to still hold out hope, but we've rejected that and we're leaving. We're out. We're done. We've had our plans ruined too many times. Our hopes dashed too often. We're out. That's why they're on the road to Emmaus in the first place. They're leaving Jerusalem and getting the heck out of town. Can you hear the pain and the disillusionment there? Have you ever been there? Are you there now? Where the grief or the sadness of having uh, your hopes dashed has just been too much. Where it feels like uh, the clouds have come and and, and covered over the moon and the stars, that it's, that it's dark in front of you and you have no hope that the clouds are ever going to go away. You don't even need the sun to come out. Just, just some light from the moon would be great, right? But it, but it feels like that's never going to happen. And in the grief and in the pain that we would say to, to the Lord, I'm done. 
I can't do it anymore. I won't do it anymore. Verse 17, Jesus asked them, what's this conversation you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still and they looked sad. Grief can do that to us. It robs us of hope. And there are plenty of other plenty of other things that can be in work at work in our lives that can bring us to a place of hopelessness, can't there? To the place where we would say, I'm done. And maybe it's looking at uh, other people who are followers of Jesus and the way that they live and act and that it seems so incongruous with who Jesus is. It would make us so angry that we would say, you know what, I'm done. I'm done with these people and so I'm done with Jesus. I'm walking away. That there could be, uh, that it, it might not be looking at the sin of other people, that it might be looking at your own sin. that what this kind of hopelessness sounds like is the voice of, sh- of shame that overwhelms every other voice in your life. Yeah, that I know what I have done and because of what I have done, I know that God could never accept me. He could never love me and so I'm gonna spare myself the pain of him rejecting me and I'll just walk away myself. I'm done. the questions that you have about God have become such a, a burden to you that brought so much anxiety that God feels like he's become an adversary. You would say, I'm done. Have you ever been there? And what this passage reminds us is that that is a normal part of the Christian life. It's something to be expected. The danger for us is not when those times happen, it's, it's, for, it's when, we, when we anticipate that they, that they won't. That when we define our Christianity as never experiencing those things, that's real faith, that is when things get all out of whack. But friends, that is not true. But the road uh, to Emmaus is it's a normal part of the Christian life. It's a normal, it's a normal part, and it's a, it's, a lonely, it's a lonely part, isn't it? Because no one can be on that path with you. They can hear you. They can connect with you. But Proverbs 14, 10 says it like this. It says, each heart knows its own bitterness, and no one else can share its joy that there's a way that that hopelessness sits in you, that you carry it, that no one else can touch or take away. You guys know uh, I'm a fan of emo music, right? We've talked about this before. The song that comes to mind, obviously, is Boulevard of Broken Dreams, right? By Green Day, I know, it was on the tip of all your tongues. 
I walk a lonely road. Yeah. The only one I've ever known. I don't know where it goes, but it's home to me, and I walk alone. That that place of hopelessness can start to feel like our home. My shadow's the only one that walks beside me. My shallow heart's the only thing that's beating. Sometimes I wish someone out there will find, would find me, but until then, I walk alone. And we laugh because it's Green Day, but it's true, isn't it? Have you ever been there? Are you there now? Do you know what you sound like when you get in that place? These, these two travelers has gone, have gone from being hopeful uh, to being hopeless. And yet what we find in this passage is it is on that road of hopelessness that Jesus comes and meets with them even when they are kept from seeing him. And that's the hardest part about the road to Emmaus is because there are times where it feels like, God, I want to see you, but it feels like I can't see you right now. Where are you? And what this passage reminds us is that he's there. He's with us. This is what verse 15 says. While they were walking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Friends, that is true for you. That on your lonely road to Emmaus, Jesus draws near to you and he goes with you. Even when it feels like you are being kept from seeing him. And then Jesus asks them questions. What's this conversation you're holding with each other as you walk? What things, he asks them, that Jesus in his kindness is drawing the hopelessness out of them? He listens because he cares about them, about their grief, about their pain, about their shame, about their hopelessness. The same Jesus that we've been studying all semester is the same Jesus who shows up here. The Jesus who disappoints our expectations so that he can exceed our wildest dreams, that's the Jesus that shows up here. The Jesus who undermines our self-confidence to bring us to a place of dependence on himself, that's the Jesus that shows up here. The Jesus that exposes our shame so that he can heal us of it, that's the Jesus that shows up here that challenges our self-righteousness to give us his righteousness, that humiliates us so that he can honor us, that's the Jesus that shows up here. The Jesus that comes for us, that, that, that shows compassion to the least of these, to children, to the demon-possessed, to the outsiders, to the outcasts, that's the Jesus that shows up here. that brings healing and hope in the midst of desperation. We've been talking about that all semester. That's the Jesus that shows up here. And that is the same Jesus who shows up with you. That's the same Jesus who is present with you 
now. Our compassionate Jesus, our resurrected Jesus. Even in the midst of your lonely road, even as you're walking the other direction, even when you can't see him, He shows up and he's listening. Even when you're being foolish, even when you're being slow-hearted, he's listening. And when we are all talked out and tired of telling over and over again the stories of our own hopelessness, that Jesus wants to speak. He said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Which I'll just say is very jarring to me, isn't it? Like, it sounds like these people are in need of compassion. Why are you sitting here calling them foolish, Jesus? But really, I think it's a lack of imagination on our parts that makes us read it this way. That we have kind of one script that people have to follow in order to have compassion on us when we are hurting. We have one note we can play. It's we only ever play one note when we're responding to each other in hopelessness. Jesus has a full range of music to play there. And what he does in his compassion is he gives these people what they need because he both comforts and he challenges. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer, should suffer, should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Right, there's comfort there. He meets them with comfort and he meets them with challenge in this place of their hopelessness. In perfect measure. See, they had set their hopes on this idea of a Messiah for whom there would be no suffering. They had no room in their plan for their life of pain being a part of their story or pain being a part of the, the story of Jesus. And of course, who of us imagines that kind of suffering or pain into our story? We would never write it like that. And what Jesus says to his friends who cannot recognize him is he tells them, no, me suffering is a part of the way that I get to the glory. He tells them that me suffering is a part of the way that you get to the glory. He's telling him your understanding of scripture is too small. The Messiah, the one who is going to save you, who is going to redeem you, he himself had to suffer. Isaiah 53 is all about this. Surely he's borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we're healed. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. He, he opened not his mouth like a lamb that's led to slaughter, like a sheep that before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Little bit, a little bit later it says, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. 
We could go through the scriptures and see uh, things that point to the suffering of this Messiah everywhere. And that's what Jesus does for his friends is he tells them, friends, your picture of the kingdom, it, it wasn't too big, it was too small. But the Messiah had to suffer for your truest hope to be realized. That his suffering was necessary because in that suffering, our hope is born. Psalm 23 tells us uh, that our good shepherd walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death. Friends, he knows how to walk us through that valley because he's walked through it himself. And he's walked through it to a depth that is, that's deeper than you and I will ever have to walk through it. And he did it for us. Then he, when he walked through it, the father had turned his face away so that when we walk through it, we can know that he is always with us in it. So he meets with them, he explains with them the necessity of his suffering, and then he opens up all of the scriptures to them. Beginning with Moses, and Moses really means just beginning with Genesis because Moses probably wrote Genesis, right? That was a way of kind of referring to the beginning of the Bible. So beginning in the beginning, and the prophets, and that's kind of the way the Hebrews thought about the scriptures, was Moses was the beginning, the prophets were at the end. So from Moses to the prophets, that's the whole Old Testament. And he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Can you imagine what kind of Bible study that was? Where the, the eternal word of God who has been with, yes, the eternal word of God, the second member of the Trinity, comes, comes to these people and he says, hey, I'm gonna show you how everything in this story points to me. It points not only to my suffering, but how through that suffering is gonna come your hope and your redemption. Every story of it. The Jesus Storybook Bible, that says it like this, okay? It says, no, the Bible isn't a book of rules or a book of heroes. The Bible is most of all a story. It's an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything to rescue the one he loves. It's like the most wonderful of fairy tales that has come true in real life. And you see, the best thing about this story is it's true. There are lots of stories in the Bible, but all the stories are telling one big story, the story of how God loves his children and comes to rescue them. It takes the it takes the whole Bible to tell the story. And at the center of the story, there's a baby. Every story in the Bible whispers his name. He's like the missing piece in a puzzle, the piece that makes all the other pieces fit together. And suddenly you can see a beautiful picture. But that's what Jesus was doing for these people on the road, is he was showing them how all of these pieces fit together to point to him. then they have this interaction, right? They get to Emmaus. And Jesus is like, hey, I gotta go. And they're like, no, stay for dinner. It's late, it's dark, it's dangerous out there. And Jesus is like, okay, right? I'll stay. And so he stays with them and he breaks bread. And when he does that, he, they realize, 
This is Jesus. And that's when it finally drops. Right, that the story that they've been talking about of this, of this suffering Messiah who's gonna be brought to glory, oh, that has all come to culmination in the resurrection of Jesus. That he hasn't come to modify our circumstances, he has come to defeat death itself. And the promise is not that all of the suffering in our stories now will end. The promise is that he is with us always, even to the end of the age, even as we suffer now. And the hope is that there will be a day when that suffering is no more. And what that does is that fills these people with hope. So rather than being hopeful about what their circumstances are gonna be like in the future, they become people who are full of hope regardless of what their circumstances are because they've been given a future that is certain. And because they know the end of the story, because they know that death has been and will be defeated, they can live in the uncertainty and the unknown of all of the things that happen in between. And so what happens is, well, first Jesus vanishes, which who knows, okay? Jesus vanishes, and then they get up and they say, of course, I knew it the whole time, right? And they run back to Jerusalem in the middle of the night. They're telling Jesus, you gotta stay with us. You can't go out there, it's late, it's dark, it's dangerous. And then when they realize that was Jesus, as their hope, as they get filled up with hope, they go, we gotta get back there. And so they run back, however long it was, seven miles. They've got a hope that's beyond their circumstances. And I love this interaction with the disciples. They burst into the upper room, you know, where everyone's hanging out afraid. And before they can get out there, you'll never believe what's happened. The people in the room are like, you'll never believe what's happened. Jesus came here. And they're like, Jesus came to us. And they're like, now what was the timeline? No, they're like, this is amazing. Jesus has been resurrected. He's been raised from the dead. We are a people now who are full of hope. We have no idea what's going to happen next. And it doesn't matter. because Jesus has been raised from the dead. Friends, that's our hope. It's that in, in the midst of this life that we know that there is gonna be suffering. And you guys have walked through so much of it looking at your faces and knowing your stories, I know that's true. The promise of this passage is that Jesus is with you in it. He's never left you. He's never forsaken you, even when it's been hard to see. And that our hope, your hope, my hope, is in the promise that he's defeated death that that same resurrected Jesus who met with these two people on the road to Emmaus is the same resurrected Jesus that is with us here this morning and the same resurrected Jesus that goes with you wherever you go when you leave here. And that we together have a hope that's certain, a future that's certain, that we'll be with him forever, that death will be defeated and that there will be a day where our suffering is no more.
And that brings us to the communion table. That Jesus, uh, he broke bread and that's when the people, that's when his friends recognized him. Uh, that is what we're gonna do this morning. So we're gonna take the Lord's Supper together. We're gonna break bread. And my prayer and my hope for this morning is that as we do that, uh, that you would get to experience Jesus. Because what we believe about the Lord's Supper is that uh, Jesus is present in a very special and unique way at his table. That he promises that when we take these elements by faith, uh, that he meets with us, that he nourishes us for the spiritual journey that we're on, for the spiritual journey of being a people who are full of hope, that in the midst of our hopelessness, he would come and meet with, meet with us and fill us up. But that's what we're trusting in this morning, his promise to do that. So if you would, go ahead and fold down the kneelers that are in front of you. You don't have to use, you don't have to use it if you don't want to, uh, but you may, you may want to as we go through this together. I'll invite the worship team. You guys can go ahead and, and come up here. And I'll just explain how, uh, how we come to the table together. So what we'll do is... Uh, I'll, I'll pray for us here in a minute. And then we'll have a song where you're gonna have some space to reflect. And what I wanna encourage you to do is that you would bring to Jesus uh, the hopelessness that you may be carrying this morning. Whether that hopelessness has to do with circumstances, whether it has to do with pain, whether it has to do with the sin in your life, would you bring that to Jesus this morning? Would you talk to him about it? Would you tell him about it? Because he desires to listen. He's here. Then I'll come up and then we'll take the bread together. And then we'll have another song where you get to reflect, you can sing, you can engage however you want. Uh, we trust that the Lord will be speaking to you, encouraging you, whispering to you about the hope that you have in him. I'll come back up and then we'll take the juice together and then we'll have a song to respond uh, in the, to that all together uh, to close us out. So let me, let me pray for us. Father, we are thankful for this meal. Uh, Lord, I'm thankful for what it points us to, that you gave your body and your, and your blood uh, to be with us. Lord, to restore us to hope, to answer the deepest hope in our hearts was our desire to be reconciled with you. And Lord, we pray that as we take this bread and this juice this morning, Lord, that you would set it aside to a holy use, that it would nourish us, that it would fill us with hope and remind us of who we are in you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.